The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you about our new sports gambling podcast, Daily Wager. The Daily Wager podcast gives you all the information you need on tonight's games. Listen every weekday afternoon for the latest info on the biggest games and plays. That's Daily Wager. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast, where I'm so excited to be joined by one of my favorite colleagues, a, a true media star, and I, and I mean this very, very seriously, very sincerely. One of the last people I hung out with in a social setting before the world collapsed. <laughs> and now someone that, frankly, I'm a little disappointed in. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit hurt by. Um, and, and, I'm, and she has some explaining to do, frankly. And that is the latest Brooklyn Nets bandwagon jumper, Mina Kimes, who has embraced... This team, the the Death Star, this villainous team loading up. What's next, Mina? Carl Malone and Gary Payton coming out of retirement. John Stockton to play backup point guard. What's next, Mina Kimes? Please justify yourself. Justify your Brooklyn Nets fandom. Well, first of all, it's great to be on the show. Longtime listener. Big fan. Uh, yours is one of the few podcasts I listen to all the time because... Um, well, I'm an NFL analyst and thus apologize for everything I'm about to say because I'm woefully unqualified to do this. But I am a Brooklyn Nets super fan. And I would say you said I'm the latest to join the bandwagon. Superstars are joining the bandwagon, but fans are not because it is an incredibly unpopular position. Um, rooting for the Brooklyn Nets at this point, joining as I did on February 13, 2021, is like announcing <laughs> that you, I don't know, kick puppies. Um and I did it as a heel turn. I wanted to lower my Q rating. I think I've succeeded. I'm pretty sure. I haven't gotten the stats, but I think I lose at least 100 Twitter followers every time I live tweet Nets games. And I have watched pretty much every Nets game since then. And Zach, I just pulled the numbers. They have gone 17-3 and three since I became a super fan. I kind of want the Nets to win the championship because – and I want the Nets to win the championship and I want the pandemic to be over – because as a, now a former New Yorker, although I always be a New Yorker in my heart, I have seen Yankees parades. Mm. Okay, I have imagined Knicks parades. I want to see what a Brooklyn Nets championship parade. Are there a hundred people at it? Are there? Are they? Are people lining the streets? Twelve. I don't. I know like seven Nets fans, and this team is wow. It, it, I well, this but this team is is amazing, but it's also just we're like eighteen months removed from look at the culture that Kenny Atkinson and D'Angelo <laughs> Russell and Joe Harris has built, and Brooklyn is falling head over heels for this plucky group, and now it's like whoa, what what happened? Yeah, I know. I was nervous uh, ahead of the trade deadline because Dinwiddie's like, you know, it's like, are they gonna hold on to like the last vestige of the charmingness or what have you? Um, I I guess. Maybe an appropriate place to get into that would be to discuss the origin of my. It's kind of like my Joker story of, um, and it's not. It started as a bit, but it feels now. It's kind of like Andy Kaufman esque performance art, where I actually think I am a Nets fan now. Like I find myself defending them in arguments. Um, when the Aldridge signing happened, I was actually texting people like Pablo Torre, friends of ours, saying. What the hell is up with the mainstream media? Have they watched Aldridge like play basketball? They're acting like this is a big deal. I was defending the Nets 
Do you use the phrase? Do you use the phrase mainstream media? No. In, but, in, um, okay. Okay. The MSM. Fans. Did you text MSM to anybody? I no. Uh, maybe I don't remember. A lot's happened since then. But like, they, they, I feel like people were angrier about that than Drummond. He's LMA's my age. I can run for president. He's old. And my reaction, and I think this is a, a very super fan reaction, immediately I tweeted this, was he better not take Claxton's minutes. And that's how you know I've gone too deep, I think, that that was my first um, reaction. You sound like Blake Griffin, who I, I actually think was yes. quite poetic in saying, um, all I've heard for two years is how terrible I am. And now all of a sudden it's a problem that I have joined up on the Brooklyn Nets. Um does the NFL have anything like the NBA's buyout thing? Is there is there something like that? Not really. I mean, so you can you have guys signing on taking discounts. Yeah, you know, like uh, the Bucks are really the closest thing we have right now to a quote unquote super team. But even their version of discounts is like, wow, Rob Gronkowski signed for ten million dollars, uh, or. Shaq Barrett could have gotten, you know, $20 million a year on a multi-year deal instead of 18. Woo, because they want to play with Brady. But the NBA, uh, the NFL is so different without the the buyouts and, and that sort of thing. It's it's very rare and unusual, even what the Bucks are doing to an extent. Um, so it is pretty, it's pretty strange. I can't get worked up about the buyout thing. I understand that the appearance, the appearance is the small market team has to trade something real to get mm-hmm. a good player. And the big market Goliath can just be like, you know what, we're trading nothing. And crap, small market team will buy out good player. Good player will come to us for free. There's like a little kernel of truth that the only thing is we do this every year and rarely do these guys impact the yes. championship race at all. Not only that, um, the players, the agents, the teams that are buying them out, they're all active and willing participants in all of this. No one is getting really screwed here. And I haven't heard a solution to it that is realistic or I think I think good. Like I, I've heard that there should be some people in the front. I wrote about this four years ago. I don't even remember who the freaking buyout guys were four years ago that inspired such fury that people were proposing things like this. But people have proposed like a buyout wire where ah. if someone gets bought out, teams can bid in some order of like who has the most cap space maybe or who has the biggest exceptions. They can bid and whoever bids the most gets that player and it's binding. Like people are still pitching that today. The union mm-hmm. is never going for that because players want agency and what teams they go for. I just haven't heard, you know, I've heard one per team. I, I think that's kind of okay. I just don't think this is that big of a deal, frankly. What? The time to get angry about the Nets was when they traded for Harden, not now. And I, I'll ask you, you're, you're the actual expert here, Aldridge and Griffin, would they have actually moved the needle for another team? I don't know, the Heat or some other team to increase parity in the East and compete with the big three in Brooklyn. Like, Do you actually think either of those players would have made a difference? I know Blake Griffin's look kind of feisty, and we can talk about that, but... Come on, Shooting right? 60-something percent. You know, the Nets, He's in active. 73 minutes with Blake Griffin on the floor, Mina Kimes, you're an analytics person. The Nets are plus 30 per he 100 like possessions. Dunking. He dunked. He dunked, and he let everyone hear about it, too, that he dunked. Um, what did you oh, – would they move the needle? I think there are teams like – could LaMarcus Aldridge give, like, play over Precious Achua for the Heat? Maybe, oh. like, I, you know. But to your point, the Nets – with the exception of a matchup here or there, maybe, 
are going to close games with Irving, Harden, Durant, assuming Durant is coming back. And I just continue to operate on the assumption that they said on the broadcast last night that he's now doing four on four or something like this. So he's on the way. Irving, Harden, Durant, Harris. That's four dudes. There's only one guy left. Yes. It could be Jeff Green, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, Bruce Brown, Steve Nash could go out and play himself. It doesn't, you know, all those guys bring their strengths and weaknesses. So those four guys are their four best players and they're going to play a ton of minutes. And yeah, I think Jeff Green, Nick Claxton, you could argue that they have been better and more useful for what the Nets need around those th- four guys than what Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge do. They need defense and spot up shooting. That's what you need around those four dudes. Yeah, and now you have a bunch of guys in the front court who can do like a bunch of different things. LaMarcus Aldridge is a better shooter. Nick Claxton can actually switch on defense. I'm in love with him, by the way. Can we take a second? He's, to- well, he's legitimately good. I mean, it's, 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 this, in three weeks, it's gone from, I mean, I remember the first game he played this year I watched. I was like, okay, I'm monitoring this. I'm monitoring it. And it went from monitoring to, okay, he's good. I give up. I'm not, no longer monitoring. He's like... He scampers, you know, up and down the court. And he always, he sometimes he looks like he's going to fly off the court. Like he's so, I, I think cultish is the only adjective I can use to describe his movements. Um, I, I find him in, enchanting to watch. Um, you know, the shooting can come and go. I saw uh, against Minnesota, he wasn't great. But um, the defense, I think just, I, I so the Nets' struggles on defense were part of the pre-Mina Kimes era of Nets super phantom, and uh, they seem to have figured it out since then. I guess DeAndre Jordan's trying a little bit harder, but Claxton has played such a big part in that, and it's so fun to watch him closing out games now, and so my hope, and I, and I think Steve Nash, is uh, he sees what we, he has eyes. I can't imagine Aldridge is going to take away those minutes given what he provides on that end of the court. They'll try everything, right? I mean, that's what the regular season is for. They'll yeah. see what they'll see what Lamarcus at center looks like. They'll see what Blake and Lamarcus together looks like, and they'll play them both with Jeff Green. Uh, the Nets are twenty seventh in defense since the Harden trade and nineteenth in the last month. So nineteenth, I'll tell you this: nineteenth, that's good enough for them to win the championship. Nineteenth, it sounds bad. Like nineteenth, there are eighteen teams better. Mm-hmm. That's solidly below average. It's it's really just average. Like there's the difference between nineteenth and thirteenth is not very much. So that, like that's good enough for them to win the title when they have all their guys. So they're like the Chiefs. Not to keep bringing it back to football. I'm going to do that. Bring it back to really football. Annoying. Educate me. I'm here but, to learn. Well, well like the Chiefs. Uh, so you know, Zach, that the Kansas City Chiefs are a very good football team. And the Chiefs have had middling defense uh, over the last few years. At times they've improved going into the playoffs. But every year we kvetch. We're like, oh, no, the Chiefs run defense is worse in the NFL. And it doesn't effing matter because they have such an outrageously good offense. It doesn't matter. It literally just does not matter. They just have to make a few big plays on defense every game, and that's enough. And when Pablo, the likes of Pablo Torre come at me with, who's going to stop Joel Embiid? My answer is 125 points are going to stop Joel Embiid. Like, it, that's more offense. I mean, I, I guess... This now that they have this mismatch of uh of front court guys and they can figure out who to match up with the various you know enemies they have to slay down the way, but they don't have to slay them all the way because if KD's actually playing, the offense is unstoppable. Am I being sufficiently uh, annoying, by the way, as a Nets fan? No, you need to dial it up a little okay. bit more. Um, I I'll tell you who's not stopping Joel Embiid, Andre Drummond, who <laughs> we've overdone this bit about so and so owns space and so and so's head. Joel Embiid. So owns 
75% of Andre Drummond's head. He's so far in there. I think Andre Drummond will help the Lakers a lot. Actually, I've said several times I think he's become like wildly and strangely underrated, but he would not help against Joel Embiid. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Let's talk about James Harden. Mina mm. Kimes. Love him. Is James Harden the NBA MVP? God, this is where the bit meets my real persona. Because if I was really leaning into the bit, I'd say yes. Um, I think James Harden has been the best player in the NBA since becoming a Brooklyn Net. I understand that he will not be the MVP. Um, I do think I saw your call. I read your column. When was that? About a month ago. So your that column was, that was that was a, a lot of stuff ago. Let's yeah, put it so that pre Embiid injury. I, no pre LeBron injury. Pre Embiid injury as well. Okay, so I do think so. You pointed out, as I recall, in your column that because it's a tight field right now, and that you've got those guys um, doing what they're doing this season you can't make the case for Harden given what he did in Houston. But since then, those guys have left the court. So you still got Jokic. I understand that. But I think if James Harden isn't in your top three right now, you're lying to yourself. How's that? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really interesting because you just said yourself, you don't. he's not going to win. I'm actually less convinced of that today than I was a month ago. Like a month ago. Go on. When Embiid was healthy and LeBron was healthy, I just thought he's drawing dead. There's no way. There, there's, there, there is such a large percentage of voters who will say, well, first of all, this would, be, this would be bucking precedent, right? No one has ever won MVP being traded, let alone being traded in an unseemly manner. No one has ever done that in season. And so to buck precedent, usually you need a case that is so overwhelming and, and, and linked to that a field that is so underwhelming, right? And those conditions were not true then. They're becoming more and more true now with the exception of Jokic and Giannis who are sort of sitting there still. But I, I, I don't disagree that James Harden has been the best player in the NBA since the trade. And he, so he's averaging 26, 11, and 9 on 47% shooting, 37% from three. He leads the league in minutes. And the Nets are plus five or six per 100 possessions when he's mm. on the floor. And he's just, I mean, if you're watching the games... This is, I. It didn't look this easy 
in Houston. It looks so easy. The passes he's throwing, like it doesn't, if, if Bruce Brown, who we both love, is rolling, is screening and rolling for James, <laughs> and Nick Claxton is in the dunker spot, like that should be bad spacing. Bruce Brown is rolling into Nick Claxton's area, and it doesn't even matter because of how brilliant James Harden's yeah. orchestration is. And by the way, when he got to Brooklyn, for the first three or four games, he was not beating people off the dribble easily. He looked a little bit slow, and it led to whispers of, is, is he aging or is, is he out of shape? Mm. or what? Uh, so whatever that was is gone, and he is just roasting dudes straight up. It, it just looks so easy for him. I think the wild card will be when Durant comes back, that's, that will hurt his MVP case a little bit. But I am... I am he he now has a chance. There he he has won over a lot of voters. He had to shed the fake weight, right? The uh <laughs> the uh what was the conspiracy theory that like he was uh wearing padding around <laughs> There was that one photo like a Stevie Wonder style. Yeah. yeah. Um Okay, so I want to talk about Harden because I I have always had a soft spot for him. I've always felt like people were unfair to him and I'm really I just feel like the is renaissance too strong a word. He is a joy to watch this season for all of the reasons you describe. But I also find what I, what I feel like watching him now has almost informed his journey in Houston for me. It's like given it context because, you know, there was a point in Harden's career where his assist rates were pretty similar to what we're seeing. He led the league in, in assists. Yes, you, in 16, right? Early, 16, 17. Yeah, yeah. Before he went full Harden ball. And yeah. became enemy number one. And, you know, also, um, well, I'm sure this is probably his lowest free throw rate. I don't have it in front of me, but it's got to be somewhere you can pull it up. But anyways, my point is watching him, I'm watching him I'm like, man, it looks so easy. He's having so much fun. He's passing. He's doing all this. But what's been fascinating is his game has actually been different every night because Durant's obviously not been available to him. Kyrie hasn't always been available to him over the last month. And when you watch him, you see him. He's such a smart player, at least to my untrained eye. Like I, It looks like his IQ is off the charts. And you're like, oh, this guy is just doing whatever it takes to win on every night. He's looking around him and he's saying, okay, tonight I have Kyrie. I can distribute. Oh, now I got to go and be more like Houston Harden and you know more ISOs and, and drive more. And I think back to that last, those last couple of years in Houston, and it's almost like, did you watch The Mandalorian? No. Okay. There was a robot and it was an assassin robot and it was programmed to kill. And then it got reprogrammed to be a nurse robot. I'm not ruining it for everyone. Don't yell at me, internet. And that's how I feel. I'm like, oh, Harden was programmed to kill in Houston because he had to. And now he's been reprogrammed. He can do anything on the court. He just had to do it in a way that was really annoying in Houston because he didn't have any other choice. And now he can be himself and be happy and he's with talent and finally people are appreciating him and I'm just so happy for him you almost look you sound like you might cry Mina I'm all in so um it's interesting because Harden like he had Chris Paul for those two two of his three last seasons in Houston and he had Capella until they'd made that strange trade to go super small and it's like he could have kept like Capella was there to run pick and rolls with. I understand. I understood and still understand the theory behind how they played, but he yeah. could have kept playing. So another change is 
27% of Harden shots are are floaters, right? Or like from floater range, like not at the rim, not but still in the paint. And a lot of the pick and rolls are with guards. In oh yeah, he's if if you're there, he and LeBron are the two most predatory players in the league. If you're if you're a bad defensive player and you're guarding Joe Harris or you think you can hang out on Bruce Brown or Dude. whatever, you are in for a really, really unpleasant few minutes. When him and Brown in particular, like I know you can pull up your fancy numbers and just do those two when they run the pick and roll. I'm sure it's off the charts. Insane. Well, I didn't you do that. Now you're I'm making sorry. me feel I don't unprepared. mean you don't have to do it. You can text me later. I'm just, I mean, just to my eye, it looks insane. Like I, I feel like it's an insane success rate. Oh, well, Bruce Brown has been, Bruce Brown has such a knack for catching the ball not facing the rim and pivoting yeah. and spinning in midair for these little floaters, and he makes them. His yes, yeah, he's he's like a football player. I God, I'm doing it again. I don't want to do it every time, but he is. He has a football body. Did you see that when you when you watch him? Like, what is he six four, six three, or something? He's the six three center, yeah. and he's got like an insane wingspan. Um, He's always open, right? Like that he almost is like, again, like in an, an, an football, like a player. He's a tweener. I texted you is like when a guy's like not re- we use that expression in football. I don't know if you used it in basketball when a guy's not really built for the right size, but he's perfectly built to occupy the space that is created by his teammates, I feel like. And also is really active and fun and athletic with the cuts and takes Smart. advantage of that space. Yeah. I, I, I wrote him. like two months ago when the Bruce Brown thing was just starting to happen. Like, the guy is inventing a position. I've never seen anybody. He's playing free safety on offense. He's playing yes, center yes, field on yes. offense. He's Jordan I, James. I, and they have, as you said, they haven't even had um, Durant. And I, look, I was, from the beginning, I was one of the optimists saying, everyone's saying the there's only one ball. This is doomed to fail. Not doomed to fail, but like there's only one ball. These guys are, was overthinking it. Like I was optimistic about the fit on offense from the beginning. And like we've only seen, they've only the three of them have only played 186 minutes together. So we still have to see how it works. But the offense has been like the chart so far up the chart. You can't even see the chart. But I have to say, you have to give Kyrie a lot of credit because if you watch any of these games, the first there are four minute stretches where he doesn't do anything in the half court. He just sits in the corner. Or he set, he takes a flare screen from Joe Harris, and he has let James Harden do his thing. And you have to give him credit on two levels. Number one, he's do he has conceded that role. Number two, he's pretty active off the ball. So when I said he's not doing anything, I don't really mean that. Like he's doing some stuff and moving around and setting flare screens. And number three, there was a like last night against the Timberwolves. First four minutes of the third quarter, I'm not even sure Kyrie like touched the ball in the half court offense. You yeah. know what? He already had 20 points. Because he scores so many points so fast. So when he gets a rebound or an outlet pass, then it's his time to thrive. When Harden goes off the floor, the Nets play like five possessions faster per, per 48 minutes. They, they just like go into this turbo pace with Kyrie pushing the pace. And he just sort of finds his spots. Like, okay, the ball found me. The defense is scrambled. I'm going to score here. And his shooting numbers are just so ridiculous. So not only he has managed to take a step back in terms of role – and still score at a ridiculous rate. It's it's he's having all the focus on James Harden's MVP case and how polarizing it's going to be. Kyrie Irving is having an incredible season. Incredible. This is the perfect role for him, right? Like he should be the one hunting and 
the crazy thing is like, God, when there's all three of them, I mean, there's never going to be a minute when one of them is not there. I, I and mostly two. I, I just, I do not know how you can beat that. I see if Durant is actually injured for the long run, or I, I mean, I imagine they're playing it safe and I don't, I can't see why they wouldn't given the record, but everything I've heard is that they're just playing it safe and everything and is going to be, and everything's going to be fine and stop asking questions. Stop annoying me with your inquiries. Okay. Everything's fine. Well, actually, and, and it's been a blessing in disguise because you know, how would we, we might not have learned all of this about our young, beautiful Brown and Claxton if they hadn't had so much time to play over the other, you know, ultimately they, they'll both play with Durant, but I think if it's just two of the three, I can see a case for them not making it to the finals. Sure. Yeah. I can see that case. Yeah. But I mean, I, the, the Milwaukee's I, really good and Philly's really good. That's part I, of the case. I cannot see the case with three. I cannot. I, I, I maybe I'm being overconfident and insane, but like not insane. That seems it's obvious. But like I, you're smarter than me. What is the case? Who beats these three? And how? How? Well, your case would be Milwaukee has three guys who can who have the, who can defend them, who have the body types to defend the skills in Drew Holiday and Giannis in particular to defend those guys, and so th- to make them work for it a little bit, right? And so, and also three guys who have to be defended by high level defenders that the Nets frankly don't have, right? And so that would be the ultimate test. Um, high level defender. But... Philly, what, what, nothing, okay, they nothing, don't. Nothing. They, don't have maybe in like there, this guy's going to play 30 minutes a game against the Bucks. Um, Philly has Simmons and Embiid and Tobias Harris is having a standing year. George Hill helps their team. Philly's dangerous. Philly's dangerous. But I agree with you and I've said already and have said since the Harden trade, the Nets are the favorites to win the East, which makes them the de facto favorites to win the NBA title. Uh, and I'll give them credit for this. They're a switching thing, which they've been doing all year. And when they got Harden, they were like, well, now we have no choice but to do yes. this because this is the only way James wants to play defense. They're not... For the most part, not half-assing it. They are talking. You can hear they're talking. They're communicating. They're not making a lot of mistakes. Now, teams are going to game play in the playoffs. The best teams are going to come with targeted game plans. Like all, all the best teams know, if you're switching, yeah. here are tactics X, Y, and Z. We don't have to get into them. Here's how you beat switches. So they're going to have to face those kind of offenses that are geared toward them. But they are they're buying in defensively. And I imagine the situation you're describing in the playoffs is where suddenly Claxton can't hang potentially, right? The inexperience might show in that scenario, even though he has, as I said, of the bigs been by far the best at switching, like his movement abilities, his youth is, is very, you know, his intelligence, it, it, it really stands out and it shines even on nights when he is bad offensively. Um, what he gives them on that side, it shows. But again, like I just think the fact that they went out and got all these options gives Steve Nash a lot of chess pieces to work with. Of course, there's still one. Um, and I don't know what, what the plan is there. But I also, I think like I don't want to, I know I've been kind of downplaying Aldridge, but after like I, Griffin has already drastically outperformed my expectations. So who knows? Maybe he brings a little bit more pop than he's been showing so far this season. There is definitely a, I'm on a good team and I don't have to do that much effect yeah. to to Nick Batum, to Blake Griffin, to LaMarcus Aldridge. Like those guys will look good. I mean, and, and you need, 
on the one hand, you need everybody to win the title, right? Like when the Mavs won, they had the Peja Stojakovic game and the Corey Brewer game and the Heat have had the Mike Miller game. And you just, yeah. you end up need the, you need the Sean Livingston third quarter. You need, you know, whatever. But <laughs> on the other hand, the everybody guys are enabled by the stars, right? Those guys are sort of like, it could be Mike Miller or Mike Miller could have been somebody else. It, what really matters is that Durant, Harden, and Kyrie are on the floor to make life easy for those guys. And to your point about Claxton, yeah, nobody will guard him in the playoffs. Nobody will guard Bruce Brown. But if you have to load up on three guys instead of one or two, it just makes the whole calculus much more difficult to pull off. You can't double James Harden <laughs> when, when, there's, when there's three. You can't. You just can't. Like math dictates no, that it's impossible. No, they, they, they. I've said they're the favorites to win the East. They're they will be tested. Like this is the NBA. They, they, no one, with very rare exceptions, like the 2017 Warriors. Do you get through an entire conference without breaking a sweat? They will get tested by those teams I mentioned. They are 27th in defense since they got hard. And have they been better in the last month? Yes. And I think the area that I watch the most every night is rebounding and you can tell if you watch a fun game to play is watch Steve Nash during during defensive possessions the only thing that upsets Steve Nash visibly during a game is when they fail to get a defensive rebound is when they fail to get a contested defensive rebound because they're outworked because they're going to be small they're going to have their bigger players far from the rim because they've switched and so it's just going to require crazy effort and conversely there is nothing that makes their coaching staff and their bench happier then when someone runs in and gets a gang rebound, Kyrie had an amazing one against Minnesota last night. That though, everyone stands for that. And then you look around, you're like, well, who are they scared of on the glass? Like Philly's a good offensive rebounding team. Milwaukee's okay. Like there's not a killer offensive rebounding team in the East other than if Embiid just goes insane by himself. Yeah, and then you start looking towards if AD is healthy in the actual finals and suddenly, okay, what is that? look like because if styles make fights again if the lakers are actually healthy they do have i think the personnel to press on some of those weaknesses um and i think it sounds like the questions about ad are like much more legitimate than the ones about durant perhaps i'm not speculate or whatever but um yeah i you know i'm a little scared a little scared about that but um right now i'm feeling pretty confident um you know i've poured a lot into this team a lot of my heart my soul um, and it's, it's paid off. Like the, like I said, I know you're a numbers guy, the numbers before and after I became a super fan, they speak for themselves, Zach. Like I honestly, I mean, God. they're fun. They're fun to watch. And they, they yeah. had a play they had. And it's also, it's always fun to watch the super teams as sort of an academic exercise because you watch, you have to watch things like what is Kyrie doing when Harden has the yeah. ball? You have to watch a little differently. And they had a play last night against Minnesota out of a timeout where Kyrie ran up to set a screen for Harden. And what's so fun about them is when Durant comes back, you can put those three guys into pick-and-roll combinations any which way. And he went up to set a screen for Harden, and then he cut out of it. It was a fake screen, and he cut toward the rim, and he got a layup out of it. And I just sat back. I was like, man, that was fun. It's fun when these guys figure stuff out like that. I'm actually just very curious to see what Durant looks like. In the so the reason I became the, it was the Warriors game when Durant was playing right before he went out and I I, I just literally turned on the TV and I was like I this is just fascinating to watch I just wanted like this is crazy what am what am I watching right now and then he got hurt and 
now I think given some of the, like obviously they've been exper- experimenting with their rotations and whatnot. And we know it's going to be Durant at four, but like I, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how he fits in exactly. And, and you, you've been talking about how Kyrie and Harden have obviously changed their game. What does Kevin Durant have to do to make this? Nothing. Nine? Nothing. <laughs> Part of Durant's legacy in the NBA is he's the greatest superstar amplifier of other superstars maybe ever he 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 just yes. walks into 25 points just running off pin downs setting picks getting points in transition and by the way i love when they get out in transition because all that switching on defense all it does is screw up the matchups when they get a rebound and you can see teams being like oh my god i'm not supposed to be guarding hard and i'm supposed to be over there oh my god i can't guard durant and the and the nets in those moments of chaos are just deadly and it's but but i i don't durant is Durant's easy. Durant's the easy part. Is it easier? Is this grouping easier for him than it was in Golden State? Like, is life easier for No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because in Curry and Clay, well, in Curry and Clay are the the two best shooters in the history of basketball. So, by definition, they don't need the ball that much. And Draymond is all he wants to do is play make. So, I think this is a little tougher. Like Draymond, basically. (laughs) This is a little. This is a little tougher to solve. So can you admit it's at least a little bit funny? It, oh, how yeah. That, no, no, no. That, that specifically, that Durant's tweet about the Heat and the, everyone joining the Heat and the Lakers in like 2011 oh has just come back to haunt him continuously because he continues to go to teams that end up so stacked they just keep winning without it. Can you admit it's a little bit funny? I think, okay, it's hilarious. And Kevin Durant is our, across any sport, he is right now our greatest living tweeter. I hope he never stops tweeting. He is, much like myself, sort of lean full into being on a, like I, there was a point with the burners and all that where he, he, you could tell he was kind of sensitive and he's still sensitive. But I would say he was like, you know, um, very attuned to the criticism. Now he's like, what do you want me to do? Turn these guys away? Isn't the goal to be a good teammate? Like he has leaned all the way into it. And I think that is a thousand percent the right move. Don't be defensive. Don't be apologetic. Be unapologetically a super team. I just think, look, I don't know any of these dudes. Who know? Who actually knows these people? Like, love his tweets. I, I, I think. I wonder if they've stumbled into accidentally the perfect combination of personalities. Because when it was just Kyrie and Durant, I don't think it's a secret that people around the league were like, "Well, this is going to fail spectacularly." Like, or if it fails, it will just be an epic. Just the, the, the these are strong personalities that have, you know. Whatever. And then you throw Harden in and maybe Harden is just the perfect like, hey, guys, whatever you're tweeting about and like this other whatever else is going on. Can we just like roll the ball out and play and then go out and have some drinks after the game? Like, let's just freaking like, let's just play some. Let's just hoop. Like, maybe it's perfect. Maybe they've stumbled into the perfect grouping of personalities. I mean, it. Everything is perfect when you're winning, <laughs> so I think that helps now. But yeah, I mean, I mean, they're Harden. It's Harden even online. Like, I don't even think he looks. So, it is a. It's quite a blend of like very divergent interests and styles. But again, as as you mentioned, those two guards, like the sacrifice is the wrong word, but the way in which they've bended their games around each other, um, it probably reflects to some extent the way in which their personalities vibe as well. And it turns out it's actually perfect. 
They're really, really good. Beautiful. And um, I just thought this would be fun to have you on because you've leaned so hard into the Nets. Have you ever, I mean, have you ever felt this passionately about an NBA team before? No. So um, I am from Seattle. So growing up, I was a Sonics fan, more of a Mariners, Seahawks fan than Sonics. Um, but I've been a free agent, you know, for now, what, it's been... A lot of years now. 13, 14, yeah, 13, 14 13 years. years. So every year, for me, this is, I mean, I know it's, it's a little bit of a bit and it's annoying and I really apologize to everyone who just not only listened to this but also follows me on Twitter. But also, like, it gives me a reason to care because um, I find sports more fun when you, like, really have a rooting interest. And every, like, even if I'm watching March Madness, I'm like, you know what? I am all in on Baylor tonight. And for me, like, I have, since I became a super fan, watched – Almost every, I think, eighteen of those twenty Nets games, which is well, well. That's why the that's why I did the parade thing because I do find like sports to me. I mean, the team that I cared about most deeply in my life is the New York Mets, and there was a period in my life when I watched literally every Mets game, and when you do that over years. You be, the players become like your family. You feel like you know them. You know their quirks. You know how Ray Ordonez does the slide and, and leap up thing at shortstop. You know how John Olerud takes off his helmet between pitches and all this. You feel like you, feel like you know them. And that's why the Nets are so fascinating because they just moved to Brooklyn in the scheme of things yesterday. I don't, I, I don't know that they have a giant Brooklyn fan base that's like a Brooklynite saying, now we have a team. This is our team. They didn't have a giant New Jersey fan base. I mean, the jokes about the New Jersey Nets would market uh, about yeah. the opponent. Come watch Shaq. Come watch Iverson. And and then they were building something that resonated. And now it's all like totally changed. And it's all these new giant names. And by definition, you haven't had a lot of time to grow attached to them as a fan. Now, you've watched Harden from afar. You've watched Durant from afar. You know who they are. You know them as people and as players, but they haven't been yours. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all because this is the age of player empowerment. This is how the NBA works. I just think it's interesting. The attachment period has really not happened and, and, and for a team that did not have a giant fan base to begin with. I just find that socially, sociologically kind of interesting because it it – it's just different. It's just different than what I've known of fandom in my life. I do think that's also, again, to go back to what we said at the beginning, a lot of the Nets fans, I've been following all the Nets reporters and bloggers and ever since you kind of clued me into, I, I asked you, should I follow? Um, shout out Nets Daily. But um, they did seem to have a lot of emotion around the potential for a Dinwiddie trade. For I, I think this is like, you look at this team and ultimately at the end of the day, we do root for the name and, when a new guy comes and he puts on the jersey, you become a fan of that player. And there's so much turnover. Heck, if you watch college football, it's constant turnover, right? But um, there is something to like, I've been on a journey with this guy. And watching that guy or these guys or these, even a coach um, go on that journey with you, especially in the Nets case, going for the journey that they've particularly been on, there is an, a bit of emotion tied up in that and then when you look on the court and suddenly it's all new faces and just a bunch of different guys sorry i didn't mean to disrespect joey buckets too i feel like we've not talked about him enough but uh yeah there it, it is a little bit of a different feeling but again in sports people do tend to root for teams 
more than players. People always ask me, like, why are people siding with owners over billionaires over millionaires? They're not. They're siding with Jersey because you root for the Jersey. Um, and I know I'm making a mockery of fandom by becoming a super fan on February 13, 2021. And I don't mean to disrespect the real Nets fans out there. And there are, I see them on the internet. They're there, all, no, they they great and they're passionate and super Shout out fun. to my former colleague, Mark G, big, Met, big Nets fan. <laughs> but yeah, I do think it is a, it's a, you're right. It's a little bit of an odd feeling when it is mostly relatively new faces and they're faces you've known mostly from other places. That was weirdly rhymed. I like, did a weird poetry thing. Mina, there. if the Mets had won the Subway Series in 2000, I would have wept, just wept, just <laughs> openly, openly wept. And I, if I see, if I see Edgardo Alfonso <laughs> on the street today, that will mean more to me than seeing LeBron James in the locker room. If I see Al Leiter walking by my house, <laughs> I will lose my mind. Anyway, I've kept you too long. Mina Kimes, you, the, you, you all know, you can see her on NFL Live. She's a star. You, the Mina Kimes podcast featuring Lenny. Of course, she's everywhere and uh, just a good sport and awesome at her job. It's wonderful to see you. And I, it, it feels like five years ago we were having a beverage at the Sloan <laughs> Conference. It's, it's good to see you virtually. Thank you so much. Hashtag Harden MVP. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Fight fans. If you want the best UFC experience, you need ESPN Plus with every pay-per-view event live fight nights, exclusive originals, and an extensive archive ESPN Plus delivers. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Our Difference Maker of the Week is brought to you by CarMax, our friends at CarMax. Don't just buy a car, love your car with the new CarMax Love Your Car Guarantee. This week's Difference Maker is Aaron Gordon, new Denver Nugget, potentially a perfect fit or at least a really interesting fit with the Nuggets. They needed a bigger wing defender who could guard the LeBrons and Kawhis of the world so Michael Porter Jr. doesn't have to, but would not get in the way on offense, would be fast enough to cut and dunk and sort of mimic the effects Denver has enjoyed playing Michael Porter Jr. as a straight power forward. So they hopefully will get to live the best of both worlds. I think they paid a fair price in R.J. Hampton and a first-round pick in Gary Harris to get 
Aaron Gordon, I think it's a worthy bet. He's still only 25 years old. In theory, Aaron Gordon rounds out the Nuggets in such a way that they have vaulted themselves in to a higher conversation, a higher tier of contention in the Western Conference, where the Lakers, I think, will still be favored if they're healthy. You have Utah, you have the Clippers, but I think Denver is right there in that group with a realistic chance to compete for the Western Conference title, which makes them a realistic contender for the NBA title, I guess. So that's our difference maker of the week. Aaron Gordon, his potential fit with the Denver Nuggets. Really, really exciting stuff in the NBA. The West is just loaded. Again, our thanks to CarMax. For more difference makers, check out my weekly 10 Things column on the ESPN Insider page. All right, let's bring in one of three Orlando Magic fans I actually know. Owner of great hair, stylish jackets, and many large coffees the Ringers NFL expert and host of one of my absolute favorite things, period, in the whole world, Slow News Day, the one and only Kevin Clark. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm processing one of the biggest weeks of a franchise that I love, and it's. I'm glad we get to talk this out. This is a therapy session. So three and a half months ago, four months ago, we, we had you on to talk about the Magic, a, a team that has been one of my niche obsessions in the NBA, <laughs> and one of the topics du jour at that moment was, should they just say it and trade for Russell Westbrook just to have some fun? Flash forward three and a half months, they said it and did the opposite thing, which is trade everybody over the age of 25 for draft picks. And they are entering into what you described uh, on Bill Simmons' podcast when this was all happening is sort of like a rebuild atop a rebuild, atop a rebuild. So Nikola Vucevic is in Chicago, Evan Fournier is in Boston, Aaron Gordon's in Denver. In return, you have two lightly protected Bulls picks, Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., RJ Hampton, a Nuggets pick, and two second rounders from Boston, and a whole lot of Dwayne Bacon. Dwayne Bacon is the, <laughs> is the happiest man in the NBA right now. Dwayne Bacon can take 30 shots a game, yep. which is all he wants to do. So just, you've had 72 hours. How are you feeling emotionally? I want to take the last part first, because you mentioned Dwayne Bacon. And I checked in with a couple of friends from home over the weekend. How are we feeling about the trade? And a bunch of them said, you know, this is great for the future, but this team now will be unwatchable. And because I'm such a sicko, I went the other way on that. Because not only are we going to see Okiki's development and stuff like that, little little niche things, but wait until you see how deeply weird this team is. Because this is a team that couldn't score and couldn't shoot before. And now they're going to turn Terrence Ross, who didn't play last night, Dwayne Bacon, and Otto Porter into basically 1962 Wilt Chamberlain here. Because <laughs> nobody else, nobody else will be shooting the basketball uh, in large spurts. But from, from a big picture standpoint... I thought it was the right move. You know, one of the reasons that we talked about blowing it up and saying, screw it, let's go for, for Russell Westbrook or whatever, was because I was tired of the concept of a soft rebuild. And, and I was fearing that, especially around a guy like Booch, who's 30 years old, who was developed into a, an elite basketball player. Um, but there wasn't, the timing just wasn't going to work out there. Um, by the time the Magic were ready to compete and heighten his talents, he wasn't going to be, um, you know, he, he wasn't going to be nearly as valuable. He's peaking right now. 
And so I, I generally thought that 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 everything kind of made sense. Um, you know, especially if you get rid of Gordon and Fournier and kept Vooch, I don't think that made much sense. I mean, you 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 never played with good shooters to begin with, and then to get rid of those guys, I mean, you're really getting into basketball crimes territory to let Vooch uh, basically hang out alone like that. Okay, and wait for the wait for emotional, the kids to you're develop. inflicting emotional damage on him. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And so I think that with just generally, uh, this was what the franchise had to do. No more half measures, rip the Band-Aid off. You know, even when they were competing and healthy, you know, Jeff Weltman gave an interview to Josh Robbins the other day, and they're saying, you know, we were competing for the playoffs. We were competing to be a home court team. I just don't think that's a noble enough goal. Um, and people were saying, oh, you keep Vooch around for, for the young kids to develop. He's a good veteran. I promise you they can find veterans that didn't have the same value as a bunch of young starters and, and two first-round picks that are uh, top four protected. So it's a great move. It's a great value pick. And, and the building starts now. Um, you know, that could be the slogan know, right there. The building starts yes. now. Yes, yes. And so you get into a situation where we knew this core. We knew this core and what it was possible, what was possible with it. And it was like Max sealing the, the fifth seed. And not to get too old country for no country for old men here, but you know, if the rule you followed led you to this, of what use was the rule, right? If you're sitting there and you're saying our entire goal is to be a home court team in the playoffs. I don't think you're on the right track. This is the right track now. Ironically, I think Chicago made a trade that is kind of about maybe one day being a home court team in the playoffs. And we can talk about their angle of it later. Um, Well, you look, you'll always have this, Kevin. You'll always have this. You'll always have the magic one game one. Is favorite <laughs> is favorite X in trouble? Oh, yeah. oh no, no! Four steamroll wins are now coming. Uh, about the how wretched this team is going to be to watch. So, because I am, if nothing else, an over preparer, I sat down this morning and I watched Magic Lakers, probably in contention for least anticipated Los Angeles Lakers game ever. In front, I mean, no, <laughs> literally nobody was. There was no LeBron, no AD, nobody. Um, at one point in the third quarter, the Magic were one of 17 from the field. Yeah. And David Steele, God bless David Steele, one of the best play-by-play guys in the NBA. Too nice, really, I think, to, to do what I'm about to suggest. At one point, he just goes, dreadful shooting this quarter from the Orlando Magic. And I thought to myself, he has now surpassed – Steve Buckhance is no longer the play-by-play guy yeah. for the Wizards. And my joke with Steve Buckhance was always – there's going to be a game where in the middle of the game, he's just going to get up and leave. And we're going to find out that he had he had had a one-way ticket to Hawaii already purchased. And David Steele is now my next candidate for Jeff Turner suddenly being like, David, uh, 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 folks, David Steele has just yeah. walked away yeah. from the broadcast <laughs> table. Um, so the magic – so what's interesting, though, though, is normally when a team tears it down like this, they they are more or less starting almost from scratch. Like yeah. Cade Cunningham would be the star of your Orlando Magic rebuild or whoever they draft, Jalen Suggs, name the guy that's yeah. going to be in this draft. What's interesting about the Magic is they have the number one and number six picks from the 2017 draft, the number six and number seven picks from the 2018 draft, yeah. um, plus RJ Hampton, who's interesting and I think will be decent. Like you can already map out a, a starting lineup of Markel Fultz, RJ Hampton, yeah. Chuma Okiki, who I like, Jonathan Isaac, and Wendell Carter Jr., and be like, 
Well, that's kind of something. And I would argue they actually need those guys to turn into something because they didn't get enough from I, – I think they got about what they were going to get, but they're behind Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Houston, and this sort of like who has the most stuff yeah. to trade for a star. And the picks they got from Chicago, like this year's pick, I think Chicago is likely to be in the play in it at least. 2023, we'll see. Like I, I don't think they, – they didn't short a franchise out to like 2027 or something. Yeah, the the lottery luck is going to play a huge role. This this being a top heavy draft is important there. I've gotten back in. So, if you view the draft only through the prism of one team, especially when it's a bad team, you get really deep early on. It's 2013, 2014, I'm watching high school highlights. I'm watching Andrew Wiggins in high school and saying, "This guy's going to fit great with the Magic." And I kind of got out of that because I was burned by it so many times. Either the Magic didn't win the lottery when they won it when they needed it, um, or those players just didn't pan out, or we just didn't draft them. And I've kind of gotten back in over the past few days. I'm scouting Cade Cunningham. I was watching Gonzaga over the weekend. I love Jalen Suggs, um, and, and and I'm starting to think about how the pieces fit. I, from my perspective, with the exception of point point guard any position we just need talent we just need talent i'm i'm, I'm fine with it um i think fultz and cole anthony have the point guard position i forgot he's down. i like cole, cole anthony is crafty he's crafty and he's feisty. i really like he's him. got he plays skills. hard he plays hard uh he's hasn't played since february and then told a, a, there was one announced injury and then he told on a twitch stream he told his twitch stream viewers that uh he also had a cracked rib um, so they got a little exclusive news there that, that the reporters didn't. Um, but he plays hard. I love his IQ. We have a bunch of high motor guys, um, which I really like. And again, they're a group of supporting players in search of a superstar. And once that happens, I think we'll be okay. I think there's something there. I think there are building blocks. And I think that, again, this is this is the only way that they, they could have gone. I think that Jonathan Isaac, if he's healthy, is a defensive player of the year candidate in the future. I think that Markel Fultz, really, I, I still feel like he's a little bit slept on, on, on as far as what he can do. Um, obviously, he's been hurt this year. Um, but I just, I feel like there's a little more than people anticipate. And I think that if the worst case scenario is, is that someone like Wendell Carter uh, turns into a good role player, that's fine. I feel like the players are sort of incidental to this deal. And and I like what the magic can be. So to review the picks that I just mentioned, Markel Fultz was number one in 2017. Isaac was number six. And then Bamba and Carter Jr., six and seven in 2018. Like, that's a lot of recent high picks. We associate the Orlando Magic failed rebuild with, with like Hazonia, Aaron Gordon, Oladipo, the yeah. 13, 14, 15 drafts. Really what all of those, having all those guys, you know, uh, one of which they just acquired, um, underscores that they, they just kind of never stopped rebuilding. Like there was this idea that you mentioned, they were like an ascending home court potential playoff team. Here are their records since the Dwight Howard trade. 20 and 62, 23 <laughs> and 59, 25 and 57, 35 and 47, 25, uh, 29 and 53, 25 and 57, 42 and 40. One over 500 year, back down to 33 and 40. And then 15 and 31. They just, they've been rebuilding this whole time. And everything you just said of they're a group of supporting players in search of a star, it just, I got the shakes because that's what we've been saying since they traded Dwight Howard. More, <laughs> more, more than that, yep. when you line up Okiki, who we should talk about because I, yeah. I think he's got a chance Love to be pretty damn Love good. Him. Isaac, you mentioned his defense. Fultz's defense, I think, is ahead of his offense. 
Bamba and Wendell Carter Jr. We'll see what they are, but I, I don't think they profile as like massively impactful offensive players. I feel like not only are they a cast of supporting players in search of a star, but if you put them together, they're bigger and lean defense first. And I'm like, I just yeah. saw this movie. I just saw the Orlando Magic build a huge team that can't score any baskets. I don't want to watch it again. Edge of tomorrow. I am in full edge of tomorrow mode. I wake up every day and fight the same battle for the past nine years. Okay, so there was a stat there. A couple of the Magic Twitter guys pointed this out, and it blew my mind. That the Magic's core, put core in huge quotation marks, of Fultz, Gordon, Isaac, and Bamba never played a single minute together on the court. Okay? Never happened. Now, if Gordon is gone, they never will. Their, their young core, Zach, was an NFT. It didn't really exist. You can buy the digital version, but it never existed in real life. And I feel like the talk of the rebuild uh, kind of over and, and how much discussion there was and how everything was logical. You know, we talked about this with the Hennigan era as well. Everything was thought out, but that doesn't mean it was good, right? Like they signed Bismack Biombo, and they had a reason to sign Bismack Biombo. It just turned out to be an awful signing. And, and, and the thought process behind it, going big when everybody else is going small, turned out to be totally outdated and not exactly a good idea, right? Um, and so I, there's just a, it's a, not to go full Ted Lasso here, but it's the hope that kills you um, with the rebuild. And I just think that if we had kept kind of retooling and rebuilding, uh, we would have kept getting the same results, kind of a, you know, what's the definition of insanity kind of thing. And I think the only way forward is, is lottery luck. It is the only way forward. And we've had some of that bad lottery luck. You know, Bill Simmons and I talked about this on Friday where we were one pick away from a superstar. You know, Embiid goes uh, one pick before us. Trey Young goes one, one pick before us. Um, but I, I just... There's something where you basically have to put your 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 fate in the hands of, of the lottery gods and say deliver it to us because this team just doesn't has hasn't in the last eight years gotten what they needed. Um, you know, there's an old saying, and I think it's in government where they say a great man is a sentence, not a paragraph. Like there's a reason. There's a very short very short reason why teams are good, right? Okay, th this team has LeBron and AD, end of story. This team has James Harden and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, end of story. And the magic were this team where they said, okay, well, we have this, this, they have length here. We got a little bit of shooting here. Fournier can give us 19 points. He's like, no, no, give us the one player or the one thing that helps you contend. The magic have never had that and they need it. And the ping pong ball is the only way to get it. Well, I think what's interesting is to have all of those recent high lottery picks you should be further ahead than they are in theory, right? But but all of those guys are complete mysteries, more or less. Markel Fultz, who, know, who knows? You know, trending the right way, who knows? Isaac, I agree with you. I think he could be the defensive player of the year. It, what is he ever going to be on offense? I don't know. Is he ever going to be healthy? Bamba, I just... Uh, I, what is Mo Bamba? I have no idea. He had a nice pump and go dunk last yeah. night against the Lakers and there's one play like that every game you're like yes Mo Bamba Kevin O'Connor's been right the whole time yeah. Mo Bamba. and then and then it's like he does seven things seven subtle things wrong that are gonna drive coaches crazy and Wendell Carter Jr he's been injured half his NBA career one skill rises another skill falls out I ju you just don't know what to make of any of these guys they're complete black boxes Okay, so let's start with Mobamba there because I've gone on three podcasts in the last week and said I'm I'm out of Mobamba. The the verdict is in, all that stuff. Mobamba blows past Marcus All on Sunday night, which I, I like Marcus All. I bet we're a pro Marcus All podcast here. 
I could probably blow blow past Marcus Sell right now, but I was right back in. I was texting O'Connor. I was saying <laughs> we are back. Mo Bamba is back. Uh, and again, he does that. He, he defensively, he was a little bit lost last night, but you can see the potential there. He's a, he's a guy who makes a lot of mistakes, but his potential is what keeps him on the court. He's behind. He was behind Ken Burch in the rotation, and the reason he was behind Ken Burch. Now, now, was, I want to stop you right now. This is a no Ken Burch slander zone. No, no, I, I, you're not going to get any slander. Okay, you're not get any slander because. He, Mo Bamba here has turned into Magic Fan QAnon, okay? Where there's all these conspiracies. Why isn't he playing? All this stuff. Well, let me tell you why he was playing behind Kem Birch. Because Kem Birch right now is a better NBA player than Mo Bamba, okay? And there's all sorts of, of okay, maybe with his wingspan. All, listen, all sorts of fantasies about what Mo Bamba can become. And nobody lives those fantasies out more than I do in my head. I'm just saying I haven't seen it yet. And Steve Clifford's job is to win games, and you can win games more readily with Ken Birch right now and the way he's developed than Mo Bamba, okay? I think that you, if you read Clifford's comments last night or heard Clifford's comments, he is going to set a standard for this really bad basketball team that I quite like. He called out, quote-unquote, high school mistakes last night. Um, at one point, he said, I'm not going to make stuff up uh, and say somebody did well if they didn't do well. Um, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, Bill Parcells wrote an amazing thing for the Harvard Business Review a number of years ago about how to turn teams around. And he said, the number one thing is honesty. Just be blunt with everybody. And you have such an advantage over everybody else And in terms of turning a team around. And I kind of feel like Clifford, because of that sort of attitude, is the guy who's going to be able to help this team get to get get through their rebuild. And I, I think Clifford might be the guy, even if he doesn't have the best track record, or you know, maybe if he buries young guys or whatever, there's a history of that. I, I don't care. It's all going to be young guys who's going to be he's going to be forced to play them. Um, but I think that he's going to be able to get through that because I don't think I think that the fantasy time for Mo Bomb is over. You either answer the question of whether or not you can stick or or not. Um, and so there's a listen. The rebuild, because it starts this summer, the guys who want to be a part of it need to claim their spot because they're going to start drafting talent. And if you're a big, uh, you don't want them drafting other bigs. So you better answer that question right now and tell John Hammond and Jeff Weltman, hey, I'm a part of the future. Mo Bamba has a chance to do that right now. And I think, look, if you flash forward, if the Magic are good in three or four or five years, I think it's going to be one of these situations where they're going to play some minutes with Isaac at the five and Chuma at the four or something like that, which raises like how much are they going to really invest in these centers? But I look, Bamba, there's no question that he can do special things. It's just a matter of can he can he sort of iron out the fundamentals of his game enough to do those special things without driving his coaches crazy. Um, and okay, let's talk about Chuma. To me, the rest of the season when I watch the Magic – I'm just, I'm really just watching. I'm watching for Hampton and he's in Hampton plays really hard. I think Hampton has a chance to be a good energy guy. Um, No, I think he's just got a chance to be a nice player, a good starter. But I really am interested in Okiki because he can shoot. He's 40% from three. He has really good feet on defense. He's strong. He can switch across almost every position. He made a, he he has a, you can see he's a little frenetic and uncertain with his dribble. But he sees the floor pretty well. He made a few nice passes last night. You can tell he reads the game. Like to me, he has a chance to be a really good starter. And I like I when I was thinking about him, I was I was thinking like why why can't he be the Magic's version of Mikhail Bridges? Just just like a perfect 
three and D and a little bit more kind of role player. Like and that doesn't sound great, but like that's Mikhail Bridges is about to earn twenty million dollars. He's really, really good. Yeah, and I think people lost him a little bit because he took the first year off because of that injury. They had him basically rehabbing in the G League, which I thought was really innovative, and they, they basically delayed his contract. Interesting story. Uh, but I, I've loved him this year. And he shoots well, obviously. He plays with a lot of confidence in traffic and near the basket. As you said, great feet. Um, I think that there's something, you know, I heard Philip Rossman Reich, who's a, who's a great magic blogger, talk about this this morning, actually, where those guys like Dwayne Bacon and Terrence Ross, eventually, once he gets healthy, and Otto Porter, taking all those shots is actually going to help guys like Chuma. Because part of the problem with Gordon and a couple of these other guys, Fournier, is that because there was no superstar, there were guys who were trying to be the superstar, right? There were guys who were trying to take more shots or do more than they could or whatever. And with Chuma here, I just want Chuma to focus on mastering his role and do exactly what he does well, okay? The one thing we want to avoid is Chuma trying to, to uh, try to do five things just because there's there's a gap there, okay? We don't need Chuma filling in the gaps. I think he can be amazing um, for, uh, just as far as his I role. may be underselling him, by the way, because yeah. he, he, he's so raw – and can already do so many interesting yep. things. They yep. even had he, they'll even put him in the post now and then and just say, hey, if yeah. you got a smaller guy on you, try and score or try we'll we'll trigger some action where you can be a passer. Like, I'm I'm really interested in him. I think Chuma can be eventually the third best player on a really good Magic team, and that's how I view all of this stuff. And I think Aaron Gordon one day is going to be the best fourth option in the league. Uh, I think Vooch is going to have uh, an incredible career. I think Vooch is going to win a ring on this, the next team he plays on after the Bulls. I think he's going to be – Vooch is going to be one of the best contributors to a super team you've ever seen, Zach Lowe. He's going to win a game. He's going to win a game six for uh, whatever Giannis's super team is in 2027, okay? Um, but I, when I'm filling in the gaps here, I see Chuma as a huge part of the future. Um, Isaac is in that is in that bucket. Um, Markel Fultz is in that bucket. Cole Anthony is, is going to be good depth on that, in, in, in that future. Um, and if I'm, you know, if I'm projecting going forward, uh, I, I've just been so impressed, especially with the last week, what Shum's been able to do. Um, what was your first, it was an interesting day on Thursday because we all knew Fournier was going to get traded and Gordon was like 90, 10 to get traded yeah. by, by Thursday night. It was very clear. He was likely going to Denver or by Wednesday night, rather. Um, yeah. Vucevic went first and well I'll just ask you this without leading you in what was your reaction <laughs> when the trade happened and you saw what the return was and how do you feel about it with some time to have it soak in at first I was stunned because everybody Josh Robbins Jeff Weltman himself over the course of of the weeks admitted this that Fournier was always going to be gone Gordon was always going to be on Vuce they needed to be bowled over and they were um, I thought Vooch, first of all, he wanted to play in Orlando. He loved it. You saw his emotional comments where he, you know, he said he arrived as a kid, left as a, uh, left as a man, all that stuff. I think with Vooch, the way he's worked to become as good as he is, is really one of the stories of the last few years. It's really the story of the modern NBA. This is a guy, if you were to guess, Zach Lowe, how many three-pointers total Vooch had in his first five seasons, what would you guess? So I'm going made. blind. Eight. Made. Seven. Eight. Okay, that's close. Okay, by prices right uh, rules, I lost. By the way, and I use prices right rules in real life. I, it's a big dis, it's a big dis debate between my wife and I when we guess things. I say pri I guess prices right rules. If you go over, you lose. And so, yeah, exactly. And so, once he saw the three pointer could work for him, he worked so hard at it. Um, I, he's a forty percent guy now. I think he's made one hundred nineteen 
this year. Um, and, and again, he didn't have the shooters around him that would have heightened his game. So the fact that he was a great passer and a decision maker, he's only 30 years old. We weren't going to be ready timeline wise. Uh, I, I think that if he played with a legit, legit superstar, and I, I don't think he's unfortunately going to get that in Chicago, um, but I think he can, I think we're probably underrating him a little bit because he can only get better. He's still 30, 30 years old and he's not 35 here. Um, he can still ascend. And so I understood the trade just from the timeline perspective. And, you know, if you're in a band, Zach, and your lead singer is Eddie Vedder and you're learning to play guitar and he's up there being Eddie Vedder and you're going, well, give me a year to learn the F chord here. Like that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And if you, and, and at some point you just, you just let him leave. And with Vooch, I, I, this wasn't, again, the timeline wasn't going to work out. We couldn't wait around for him to, for his age 33 season. Um, there's contract, pro, you know, there, there, there are contract issues and all that stuff. Um, this had to happen. And the fact that the Bulls were, you know, uh, Jeff Weltman said this in his Josh Robbins interview, but there were three first round picks traded total on the deadline the other day, and all of them went to the Magic. And there's something to be said for that. I understand the Denver one is 2025. Um, I actually don't know the, the protections on that one. Um, but at the end of the day, they got building blocks for the future and and they developed these guys and and they earned it. The Denver one is complicated because Denver owes Oklahoma City a 2023, or I think. And so it's it's worded as next available and it's likely to be top. It's likely to be 2025 because of how the protections on the other one work. And it's top five protected for three years and then it expires, I think. Um so the Vooch thing is super interesting. Well, first of all, the, the, that's a really great talking point by Jeff Weltman. It's a, it's amazing how good all these GMs are at finding a talking point after the draft or after the trade deadline yeah. and just like and just hammering it in. Part of the reason there were only three first-round draft picks traded at the trade deadline is they've already all been traded to Oklahoma City, <laughs> New Orleans, and Houston. There are none left to trade anywhere else, okay? Yeah. Um, the Vooch thing is really interesting because – when I was picking my all-star teams, you know, I was texting people around the league, calling coaches, and and I just kept hearing over and over again, you got to put Vooch on. The guy is so incredible. So has become such a powerful offensive player. And then you also hear some skepticism about like, well, if he's such a good offensive player, how come the Magic suck on offense every year? And isn't part of the reason because he never gets to the foul line and this and that and the other thing. So I think this will be pairing him with Levine. I think we'll have they, they will have such an amplifying effect on each other that I think they will lift both of them, but they will lift each other up and they will lift the Bulls up. Like I'm, I lean more to Vooch as a very, very special offensive player. Uh, on the other hand, I was surprised, and I said this Friday, and I still feel this way. There seemed to be an undercurrent among Magic fans of, oh man, we sold low on Vooch. Like this is a disappointing return from Vooch. And I said on Friday, like. I actually could I disagree fairly strongly with that but I'm interested did you feel that at all did you do you feel that now No um I, I saw the same undercurrent um I was frankly a little surprised by it um I I think that when people say we have to be bowled over by something I feel like maybe fans think that that means like you know, they're going to get Giannis, right? Like, I mean, that's, that, oh, wait, we have to get the Godfather offer is going to include, you know, Zion and, and three first round. Or, or it's it going to be the Drew Holiday. I think people thought yeah. it's going to have to be the Drew Holiday thing where, wait, this guy's made one, Drew Holiday's made one yeah. all star team and they got three picks, two swaps, yeah. Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, and on and on. Yeah. I, so I, I, I was, once I saw 
you know, once I saw that the, the news that it, the Vooch was going to get traded, you understand the plan a little more. Um, and the soft rebuild was was over. Um, and so through that context, you're just getting building blocks for the future. And as I said, I think that the pieces are nice, but the players are sort of incidental, um, even though, again, they're a bunch of, bunch of lottery picks. I liked it. So, no, I was not upset or i did not think that they there was there was an undersell or anything like that i think this was the the best the best deal they were going to get i mean let me ask you if they waited until the offseason would they have gotten a better or worse deal no see i i think i found myself and still find myself the reaction to that trade seemed to be depression or this sort of did we sell low questioning among magic fans you could hear weltman even answered that criticism in the press conference that night and exuberance in Chicago of just sort of like, finally, we did something. Finally, we did something exciting. And I found myself less excited about it from a Bulls perspective than the consensus seemed to be and more satisfied with it from the Magic's perspective than the consensus seemed to be. And I I still land right there. I just think you're not getting the first of all the Drew Holiday package is an anomaly linked to Giannis's Supermax and all the anxiety that the Bucks felt about that. Second of all, you're just not getting that for a 30-year-old center who has been on terrible teams for six years and is maybe a defensive liability in some postseason matchups if you ever get to the point where you're going to be in those postseason matchups. This is not a center's league anymore with three or four exceptions. Vooch's defense is going to be a problem for Chicago in the wrong playoff matchup. And to get two lightly protected firsts, I I still think a decent prospect in, in Carter and yeah, I like the fact that they didn't buy out Otto Porter. Like, just wh- why would you do that? See if he had. Now he looks. He's looked so slow. Like, like he. I don't know what the hell is going on with him, but he looks so slow. But it's still worth a look. Like, I. I just think that's about what they were going to get for Vooch. And and the risk in waiting as he got older, thirty one, thirty two, outweighed yeah. to me the potential long shot reward of maybe there's a better deal around the corner somewhere. Yeah. And again, the Magic were not going to get that much better with him. The soft rebuild was not going to work if they kept – I mean, God forbid they they got like the seventh seed this year and they couldn't even get in the lottery. What was the plan then? Even when – I mean, I listen, remember, Isaac and Fultz are still rehabbing, and I don't know their time to. Isaac will, will return before Fultz does, but even Fultz, I mean, he was he was hurt essentially this season to the point that we're looking at the middle of next season for a return. And so I think that – the idea that that Vooch was going to provide some value or something in the next year or so, I, I just think that's misguided. And and I think that for, for the situation they were in, I, I, I like the deal. I did too. I thought Gordon was fine. I, I heard Bill say 40 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. Eh. I think it's closer to like 75 or 80 cents on the dollar. I mean, Denver is a – there's a reason we've been writing Aaron Gordon to Denver for six months. He's a perfect fit there. And we've also been writing for five years – Boy, if Aaron Gordon ever figures it out. Boy, if Aaron Gordon ever embraces this part of the boy, if Aaron Gordon. But well, the whole league's been having that same conversation. The other 29 teams watched Aaron Gordon, and five years later are like, maybe he's just what he is. Like there, I don't think there was going to be a home run Aaron Gordon trade out there. I would say it's 75, 80 cents on the dollar. Fournier, that trade stinks. They waited too long. That's ah. it. That's it. But you just what are you yeah. gonna do? They get the trade exception, it's fine. Uh, with with Gordon in particular. I think that Denver, first of all, elite floor spacing, which Gordon needs. That's going to be great. Uh, great for him. I uh, let him just cut to the basket. Let him hit open threes. Let him play defense. Um, I heard a couple, I think it was Tim McMahon said this the other day, that they view him as the kind of guy who can guard LeBron and Kawhi in the playoffs, which 
good. He can use his athleticism. Um, I think the Denver is probably the perfect home for him. Uh, again, he was the type of player who was not going to be Orlando's superstar, but he was playing like one. I do think that that, that trying to fill in the gaps hurt his development a little bit. Um, I think he wanted to be that superstar. Um, but I, I just I think that that role for him, where you're not expecting him to put the team on his back, I think that's going to help him exponentially. I think all three guys that the Magic got rid of, Fournier, Gordon, and Vooch, I think that they're they're in almost the perfect homes for them right now, um, at least for the rest of the year in the playoffs. Um, I think that there are – I think with Gordon in particular, I, mean, I don't know how you feel about Denver generally, but it'll be really exciting to see – to see any of these guys play meaningful games. Because I got to tell you, Zach, game one against Toronto or game one against Milwaukee, not exactly meaningful in 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 you know in the NBA. But sense. you'll never meaningful forget to Orlando. You'll I'll never, never forget, forget them. I'll never forget it. But I'm just saying to see Aaron Gordon play a fourth quarter in a second round, to me, that's exciting because I just I've spent so long projecting these guys that now I get to see what it would actually look like. Well, We'll have to do this again and uh, when we have a better idea of what – I mean, it's funny. You want to be excited, right? Like like I would imagine the instinct of a fan is to say, we have a direction. This is exciting. Yeah. But I do think you know it's going to depend on either one of these guys is going to develop in a way that we don't see coming right now or you need the lottery luck again. And you just – I hope for your sake and the sake of all the 85 Orlando Magic fans in the world that you are not – just living this same movie for 10 more years and you're not like the Kings or something where you, just, I mean, you're not going to have a playoff drought of that nature because it's really impossible to have a playoff drought it's in impossible. the Eastern conference. It's just not, it's not possible, but you know what I mean? And um, I, I just, I hope that something pops there. I, I hope so too. I mean, we're, again, we're not the Kings. We didn't pass on a bunch of guys who became stars. No, just we got, we we we, we don't need to rehash all the picks. They were okay picks, a lot of them. We yeah, we did that in the last pod. But there's just something where they got unlucky for the last eight years. Obviously, the Magic got extremely lucky in the early '90s with, with the lottery. Um, we don't need to to relitigate that. But we got Shaq and Chris Webber, which turned into Penny and all that stuff. But uh, it was just a mixture of bad luck, bad development. I mean, this was grim. And the one thing I can hope for for Magic fans going forward and the next generation of Magic fans is that everything just appears a little rosier in the last rebuild. I remember taking my wife to a Lakers Magic game like four years ago, and I'm watching the the guys and they're you know I'm watching them in total evaluation mode. And my wife who knows nothing about basketball, she called she once called a program a playbill because she's all she goes to is Broadway, right? She doesn't know anything about basketball, and she says to me in the middle of the game, she's like. Are, are the Magic running plays? And I'm just like, I haven't thought about it. I look at it, I'm like, no, they're not running plays. They're not running plays. My wife has realized that the Magic are not running plays because they're just they're just a ghost ship. They are just a ghost ship. And this was, I guess, the end of the Jacques Vaughn era, maybe something like that, the James Borrego era. Um, and, and I just hope that in this rebuild, whether it's with Steve Clifford uh, or whomever, that because there are pieces that make a little more sense, that the, this, this whole, the next three years – um, they just show us something a little more than kind of the the Alfred Payton years, I guess you could call them. You know, I just like – I like that you're still going to root for these guys from afar, that you're going to watch Aaron Gordon in Denver, watch Evan Fournier, watch Vooch, and you still have an affection for them. Because really, that is what fandom is about, is these people become – extended family members and you watch them grow and you become attached to them and you learn all their quirks and idiosyncrasies and they then like you remember little random games that no one else really remembers that's what it's about and so i'm glad that you're going to carry this with you as they are in new homes part of this 
is the fact that I spent so long being mad at Shaq and being mad at Penny and being mad at T-Mac. And the older you get, the more you realize, and I'm only in my 30s, but the only life's too short to get be mad at Shaq for leaving for Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles too, okay? Nobody from Orlando is mad at me. And I think that there's, I, I, I think that, you have to look at all three of the situations. What was Vooch going to do in Orlando? Was he just going to just pass the ball to Dwayne Bacon and play a two-man game with Dwayne Bacon? What was what was the point of that? And so I'm I, I like to support ex Magic players. You know, one of the lowlights. I, I wish the Magic had maybe it's the transplant thing in Florida, but I feel like the Magic fan base just doesn't have an appreciation for former players enough. Um, I have a a story that I, that I tell friends where. Jameer Nelson played with the Pelicans in his last year. He ended up playing on the Pistons at the end, but the Pelicans before that. And I was at one of the games. It was near Christmas. And it's possible that I was overserved in this particular situation. And I'm sitting there, and Alvin Gentry puts Jameer back in. Game's out of hand. He puts, puts him back in with, I don't know, three, four minutes left. And it's just to get Jameer Nelson a standing ovation. And nobody reacts in the arena. Nobody reacts except like me and my friend Ben, who was also probably overserved. And we're standing up and we're clapping. And there's just not, for whatever reason, the fan base is just kind of in a, I don't know, it's it's a low energy fan base right now. I don't blame them, but I'm just saying I I, I feel that it's my responsibility partly to sort of contextualize magic history uh, to support players when they continue on and to sort of, I just don't think there's all that many people who were around Orlando in the very beginning who are still there now who watch every game. Um, I don't blame them. It's a, it's a total sicko move to watch every magic game. Um, but I just feel like the franchise could do a little better from a fan base perspective, appreciating their history. So we can start with supporting Vooch and Gordon and Fournier at their new homes. Well, how about this? Jameer Nelson, the what if Jameer Nelson doesn't get hurt in 2009 mm. is an underrated little what if for Orlando, for NBA people. I disagree. I completely really? disagree because the reason the matchup nightmares were happening, Ray Ferrolson did a great job. But you have to remember, Hito Turkoglu did a lot of the ball handling. That's true. Because of that. And that accentuated the matchup nightmare. They became, I, there were teams that could not deal with, with the height of Dwight and Richard and Hito. Um, you know, Stan Van Gundy, I, I talked to him for a story I did two years ago about that. And he basically said the reason that the Lakers won, everyone says it's um, because of Gasol or whatever. It was because of Lamar Odom and the fact that the Lakers were the only team that could deal with the, the matchup problems. And so I think that the I think in a weird way, the Jameer injury for the early rounds of the playoffs helped. And then Jameer being reinserted into the lineup in the finals hurt is, their team, I think. Hurt their team. Hurt their team. And so I don't I'm I'm not with you on the Jameer Nelson never getting injured. Even though he was an all-star that year. I love Jameer Nelson. But I'm I I do think that there are there's a different alternate reality where they're just more of a basic team and they lose to the the Celtics or the Cavs. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, Kevin Clark, you can read him at the ringer, you can listen to him at the ringer. Slow news day is one of the great Pleasures of life. Thank you for coming on and talking. When are you coming on Slow News Day? Whenever you want. Literally, whenever you want. I will drop everything to come on Slow News Day. I said it. Okay. I don't know anything about the NFL, but we can make it work. You're going to have all sorts of NFL takes by then. All right, Mr. Clark. Thank you. Thanks for having me.